Salutations, Mets fans. Welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, it was revealed over the weekend that Juan Lagares is wearing wristbands with his own face on them. So if you could wear, or if you had to wear, I suppose, probably the better way to put it, if you had to wear an item of clothing with a Mets player's face on it, what would you choose? Well, I kind of like the... Like the stock photos that they do at the beginning of the season, you know, like from USA Today, you know, you see him in the editor. Uh, Wilmer Flores always looks like a deer in headlights. So I just kind of think that his face on like a T-shirt or something, just just his face with like a blue T-shirt, I think that would be pretty funny. And I would, I would wear it sparingly, but I would wear it. So, I mean, first off, I want to say I really want those wristbands. Like, I would pay money for them if they make them up and put them in the Mets store or whatever, or Juan Lagares can start a charity, and I'll I'll pay money to the charity for the wristbands. And I don't really even have... I don't do anything that requires wristbands. <laughs> like, I don't sweat. Like, I don't really feel like <laughs> I'm going to call my armed sweat, but I would just, you know, i take up tennis again. What about, uh, I mean, you know, you don't want, like, any sweat dripping down your hand, you know, while you're bowling, you know? Yeah, be, I like, guess I nice... could wear one. Everyone wears, like, compression sleeves now to bowl. I don't, but... Compression sleeves. Like, I don't, it's, like, in, invaded bowling recently. I don't really think it does anything, but <clears throat> whatever. Uh, but for the purposes of actually answering the question, um, so, you know, they have those, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, the, like, the Keith Hernandez shirt that just sort of the outline of Keith's face with the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Ellis Valentine for the the Expos is one like that, too. So I've talked in the past about wanting a, a Henry Mejia shirt like that with just the outline of the Henry's face and the hair. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Although he did cut it off right before. I, I'm hoping when he comes back, it's back. Yeah. I feel like he should bring it back with him to the team. Uh, but I'm not going with that either, because I've talked about that before. I want the same shirt, but with with Josh Satin with just the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> so it would technically be like Josh Satin's face, but you know it's like one of those. Uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, I don't think that many people would get that one, but the right I people would. The right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but when I, we were going to the game on Friday, someone tried to buy my Josh Satin Buffalo Bison's jersey off me on the subway. Yes. That's yeah. the thing that happened. I was there. Well, you weren't on the subway, but you were at the no. game. I think I must yes. have told the story to you when I got the game. So yeah, that wasn't going to happen, dude. It's like one of those very like Queens moment. He's like, like could be like, uh, it's like, oh man, Buffalo Bison's jersey and a Binghamton Mets shirt. That's real cool. You know, you know, a lot of people don't really like wear the minor league stuff. And then it went to like two seconds later. So how would you want for that jersey, man? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, like, it's like the most like Queens moment possible. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, right, dude, I get it. You're not. I don't care how much money you have in your wallet. It's a well dressed dude. Like coming from home from work, obviously, in in Midtown or whatever. I'm like, there's not enough money in your wallet to just we're gonna stop this right now before it yeah. gets out of hand. This is not happening. But he took it well. It wasn't like so we talked a little more uh, early baseball. I told him other options he could have for buying his own customized minor league player jersey. Well, you gotta appreciate any guy who oh yeah likes Josh Satin. Sure. 
I mean, this question I, I mean, is more interested in it being like a Bison's jersey, I think, more than it being Josh Sam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't see that until I turned around. Like, uh, and, like Someone on Twitter said I should have, should have dropped the, do you know who I am? <laughs> but obviously, no, he didn't. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> this is episode 123 of Amazing Avenue Audio. And we'll start off the agenda with... Uh, an email, actually. They were sent directly to me, not to the, the podcast site. It's from Kenneth, and it's a very nice email. He writes, Hi, Jeff. I recently started listening to a few of the Mets podcasts this year, and I'm really impressed with the intelligent and interesting discussion. Clearly, you, got, you guys live Mets baseball and know your shit, so to speak. I've learned a ton, and it ties me over from game to game. But I'd like to make a comment with regard to your show. I realize you're a self-described pessimist, and maybe even you're right. But your listeners, by and large, are Mets fans. And we love the Mets. We want to be encouraged here about the silver lining to see hope. Here the Mets are in first place, despite not playing particularly well recently, having atrocious bench, etc., etc. I could go on and on, but you do that to me every episode. If I would, uh, if I were any more of a Mets fan, you might drive me to shoot myself. Seriously, cheer <laughs> things up a bit. I can't speak for everyone. I'm not a native New Yorker. Maybe you guys thrive on negativity. But stop being such a fucking downer. We're in first place, for Christ's th- sake. Get excited about the team. Thanks, Kenneth. Ken sent me this email right before the Mets got no hit. <laughs> but I think Kenneth is right. And I've gotten some other messages from longtime listeners that I've been a bit of a heavy downer this year. And the Mets are in first place. They're still in first place. The NL East is a tire fire. I'm going to find more pictures on Google image search of tire fires for my Twitter brand, probably, as the summer rolls on. But I think we should pep things up a little bit now we're not going to change the show's not going to change and i have spent a, a, a few more than a few years now in corporate america so i know a little bit about sort of that corporate feedback structure you know constructive criticism and greg you always you lead with the good then you give the criticism then you finish with the good oh, okay that's how it works that's what we're going to do for our first segment we're going to say something say something nice about the mets then be like uh mets you know maybe don't do this anymore be like but Mets you're doing pretty good so do you want to go first uh why don't you go first all right so certainly we've had some some lean years and things are looking up first place is maybe not the deepest they've been in first place maybe since 2009 I think that was a fact as a Mets fact recently um and one of the reasons they're doing so well is uh Jacob deGrom is a top 20 pitcher in baseball, Greg. I mean, better than that if you go over the last, you know, 365 days. I actually went, I crunched some numbers. You're right. I took all the qualified, not qualified, sorry. All the pitchers over the past two seasons that have thrown at least 200 innings. I think DeGrom's thrown 220, 230, somewhere in there. Um, he is 7th in ERA, the same in FIP. 10th in K percentage and 11th in K percentage minus walk percentage. And pretty much everyone ahead of him in those stats are like perennial Cy Young candidates, guys that have won Cy Youngs and Carlos Carrasco. <laughs> so <laughs> the Indians rotation is uh, pretty ridiculous, but yeah, go ahead. Um, so the funny thing is I, I, I said this when I was on the podcast with Alex doing the draft preview, of course, reviewing the 2010 draft where he was selected. And I kept drawing the top 20 thing in because when I did the, uh, did a preseason preview for, uh, I don't remember who it was now, 
whatever that paper is you get on the subway in New York. Metro. Metro. Is that it? That might have been that. I don't know. Whatever it was. Metro, yeah. Something. Yeah, I think that's right. Metro. AM New York. York. AM New York, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, they, he wanted a, uh, like a, a, like a breakout pitcher or a star pitcher. I said Jacob DeGrom would be a top 20 pitcher in baseball. And all through the spring, I, and even this past offseason, if you listen to the show, I'm like, we did our starting rotation preview. It's like, you know, is Jacob DeGrom really going to be you know, able to repeat that season? You know, his rookie of the year season. That was a great season. That would be the best season, you know, by rate stats. Obviously, he didn't pitch a full year for many very good pitchers. You know, throughout history, it was a very good season. Yes. Um, so you always wonder, like, you know, maybe, you know, he's a little bit older, maybe just like an early peak thing or just happened to have his career year in his first year in the majors. That kind of stuff can happen. But, uh, you know, over the spring, he looked really good in spring training. And I got constantly beaten down by this by the uh, prospect hate man on Twitter, who is a big Jacob DeGrom fan. Right. And so finally, I'm like, I was joking with him in DMs after this interview. I'm like, fine, you finally convinced me he's going to be a top 20 prospect in baseball. But the quote I almost gave was, Jacob DeGrom will be better than Matt Harvey this year. <laughs> Which would have made me look really good, though Matt Harvey is, uh, I won't say shoving yet, it's too early, but pitching well tonight so yeah. far as we record this on Tuesday night. Which might date exactly when we're recording this podcast, depending on how the game goes, I don't know. But, uh... <laughs> And I, I, I was going to say that in part because, you know, Matt Harvey's coming off Tommy John surgery. And you yeah. expect a little bit of, you know, inconsistency there, I think, as we've seen. And not because necessarily Jacob DeGrom is, a, on a true talent level, a better pitcher than Matt Harvey. But I feel like we can have that conversation now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Jacob DeGrom has been awesome. Um, and again, it's, it's funny because, you know, on episode 117 of the show, we had a long conversation. Uh, me and Steve Sippa about if there was something wrong with Jacob deGrom <laughs> after well, specifically a bad star in Chicago when the wind was blowing out. And yeah, you know, he g- yeah, gave up some dongs that he night. He gave up some dongs. He had some dongs <laughs> against the Yankees, I think, too. Yeah. You know, in uh, in Yankee Stadium 3. And with the, sort of the vagaries of doing a weekly show and having to do small sample size reactions early in the season is you say things like, is he maybe more a number three starter going forward? Maybe. I really shouldn't say things like that after I've called him a top 20 pitcher in baseball. You got to stick with your, uh, yeah. stick to your well, guns. Hey, that's how it goes, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of the season. It's true. And it was three bad starts, and since then he's had no bad starts. And we'll update it again. I think I updated it in, in the draft preview. But since episode 117, 42.1 inning or 42 and a third innings pitched. 24 hits, 7 runs, 6 earned, 5 walks, 53 strikeouts. Uh, that'll play. That'll play. He's going to be an all-star. Yeah. He's going to get Cy Young votes. I don't know if he catches Cole and Scherzer, but he's yeah, going to get probably. Cy Young votes. And that's not going to get washed out in a larger sample size like those Homer Happy Outings did. Dude's good. Yes. And you're more, I mean, you're more lucky to sign him to a long-term deal than Harvey. I think those are just the facts. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, at least in terms of his an extension, you've already said, like, he's a little bit older, so, you know, there's maybe not as much upside to that, but you could probably get some savings with that. Well, the funny thing more. about him is, I, I think they have to offer him extension, because he's going to be super two. Oh, really? Yeah, they called him up early that year, don't forget, last year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was up yep. early, he'll have enough service time, and if he, 
makes an all-star game this year and you know next year and gets a couple top five side finishes in there which are very possible you know, he's going to be on the like the david price track that's a lot of money you're talking about 40 million plus in those four yeah bears. that's true so it's in the mets uh i think interest to to buy it's, it's so can. funny i i wrote the season preview for degrom that year and i it was very i mean it was clear that he was going to be the first guy in line if they needed a starter early on in the season because they didn't give a shit about that kind of you yeah. know super two stuff with him <laughs> and then lo and behold it turned out that you know jacob degrom is a motherfucker yeah i mean they've held you know they held back wheeler they held back harvey they're holding back mats i mean Syndergaard's a little bit of a of a weird case, and he probably eh, he'll probably be super too. But they had got a whole extra year because he was in Vegas for an entire season. But sort of the one guy there, just like yeah, whatever. Yeah, he turned into arguably or potentially certainly the best starter of the bunch. Yeah. Well. So that's yeah. So that's been a good thing. Um, you want me to go with mine? Sure. Um, well, Travis Darnell. I mean, is alive. He's, he's alive. He's well. He's hitting. Um, I was at the game on Sunday, and he hit a uh, two-run homer to like, what was it to put them within one or something like that. Yeah, I mean, eight I mean, seven. It's his presence in the lineup just has such a big effect. I mean, it, when you only have nine guys or really eight hitters in a lineup, you know, it's one good hitter is is huge because he's not he's not bumping the three hitter he's bumping the eight hitter out of the lineup and so the jump from you know eric campbell really to travis darno i mean is literally just in this tremendous. case kevin ploiecki yeah well right <laughs> but you, you know what i'm saying it's just, yeah. it's such a big jump and it, it helps the entire lineup so much um that it, it's just huge and and the way he's been hitting i mean so even since he's come back, and then before he was, he went down. It's just been, and and with his receiving skills and his framing skills, all that you add it all up, and he's he's a extremely extremely a valuable player, um, who probably um, his ent- entire contribution does not really get wrapped up in the war because of because of the framing stuff uh, as well. So he's a guy who adds a, a lot to the team, and I, he's he's a huge bright spot because he's become. Um, a real steady force in in the lineup. He just really, really needs to stay healthy. Yeah, well, you <laughs> for know, an extended period of time. I know. Well, you know, and, and they have keep... all been they have all been sort of fluke things. Yeah, you could part. say that, but like after a certain point, it's it's it, you know he he's not getting out of the way of pitches, you know, and or he's not avoiding a contact or something like that. So I, I don't I don't want to necessarily chalk it all up to being flukes. Um, yeah, I think there is a little bit of skill involved with uh, staying healthy. Sure. I think Darno's actually even probably, or at least certainly was, underrated a bit as a prospect because, I mean, he was a top 50 prospect on most lists. Right. But because of sort of, you know, he came to the Mets <clears throat> late in his minor league career, was dropped directly into Vegas, which doesn't get a ton of coverage doesn't have a great, you know, MILB. People couldn't see him. So you didn't really realize how good a hitter he is. Right. And also when on those later lists towards the uh right before he got called up, he's in he's like twenty four years old. And that's old right. uh, for those those kinds of lists and they and they they'll ding you on, on for that. So he he definitely was probably a little underrated. 
so Matt's good news. Jacob deGrom is good. Travis Darno is good and healthy. I mean, there there are some things we need to work on here. And we haven't had to do this in a while. But let's talk about the shortstop situation. Addison Russell is probably not available. Yes, it's Shortstop Avenue Audio. One of their mirai, a little bit pie in the sky. Maybe give Tulo a try. It's Shortstop Avenue Audio. Hey, Owings is one to admire. Just please don't stop at Kadire. Since they've got it all wrong, I've had to update the song for Shortstop Avenue Audio. Please. And this, look, it's... It, on some level, it's not really your fault, New York Mets. Because a lot of my annoyance with the shortstop situation is because of Mets fans on Twitter. <laughs> but you're not helping by continually playing Wilmer Flores out of position. Uh, and then it seems like every two weeks he'll have a good game or make a semi-routine play that he makes look harder because he's incredibly slow getting out of his crouch and has a three-step range. And people start taking victory laps on Twitter, which immediately proceeds like a two for 16 stretch with a bunch of errors. So the most generous reading of Flores right now is he's a slightly above average player at shortstop. Yeah. That's, that's the, your F war. Yeah. He's an average hitter, average defender at a position where that's not average. Yeah. And that's, in large part based on granting average defense. And in this case, UZR. Every other metric has him as well below average. BREF, if you use baseball references war, he projects as, you know, again, you're sort of projecting out 100 games and defensive metrics get wonky in small samples. But, he, you know, he's been worth half a win this year in a little over a third of a season. And look, it's he's not a good defender. He doesn't run well. It's a one-tool guy. And that tool's playing right now. Um... You know, pull power, right-handed pull power in, in City Field works. You know, we've seen it before. Not a lot, because the Mets haven't had a lot of power hitters. Um, and the, the, you know, the power hitters we've seen over sort of longer periods of time. Wright's more of an all-fields guy, and Duda and Davis are left-handed. But, you know, Scott Harrison was yanking home runs down the line. Yep. Marlon Byrd, certainly. Yep. Um. And this is a dude that, you know, I don't want to get into park factors. I sort of had this on a little spiel on that on Twitter this past weekend. But, you know, for a guy with 10 home runs, he has the lowest average home run distance yeah. in baseball. So there's a lot of wall scrapers in there. And he hasn't had a yeah. lot of doubles. You know, some of those home runs might turn into doubles, which is fine. And under the old city field dimensions, I know they don't exist anymore. He would have three home runs and all of them would have been on the road. But look, he's taking advantage of the park. You're talking about old, old... Uh, the Great City. Wall of Flushing. Yes. They, I mean, they haven't done anything to the right field, the left field fence since then. Right, but that was... Yeah. That was ill-conceived. Sure. And it, it's not fair to judge him by that, but what I'm saying is this, this might not... This sort of, like, home run binge might not be sustainable. Yeah, I wasn't sure if other people had noticed that, but, yeah, it, his home runs have not exactly been uh, the... They weren't Jose Bautista Jose into Batista. the second deck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. look, there's value in being an average major league regular. Again, if we grant him average defense, which I'm 
certainly not willing to do. Um, and I think he could be a good, a useful third baseman. I think there's potentially a little bit more there in the bat over the long haul. Yeah. But, you know, they have an opportunity to play him at third long time and uh, uh, long term or medium term. I mean, it could have been about a month. And they're not uh, taking that advantage. Yeah, that's a, that's the strange part. That is a strange part because they, they obviously don't want to mess with him, I guess. And, but everybody else, they have no problem moving around. And he's played yeah. third in the majors before. Yeah. I don't know it, what the deal is there. I don't know what it is either. I mean, they're not... I can't imagine they're committed to Mitch Shortstop long-term. Internally. Well, no, I mean... How could you be? He's not He's not, He's not. not good at there. <laughs> it's not like they didn't spend the off-season trying to... surreptitiously or not so surreptitiously explore other options there. Right. But he's he's hitting the ball fairly well. Uh, you know, round league league average, but he's he's got a little bit more pop than you would expect, um, and you you can envision that the bat takes a leap, and you know he's able to hold his own at another position like third base down the road. Um, it, it would it, his bat would probably play there now, uh, given the you know, dearth of of power in the league. Um, but yeah, he's not he's not good at shortstop, and it's getting a little annoying when uh, every time he makes a diving stop, everyone you know gives him a big round of applause. But when in reality, it's a play that probably should have been made standing up. And I, I, do, uh, I do think part of the problem is you get you never see his first step because of the nature of TV camera angles in baseball. Like the yeah. one the one thing, of course, the the. Was it the play against uh, Atlanta where he dove the wrong? He started the wrong way. I didn't see it. That's like one of the first, I think, times we sort of. I mean, that was just a bad instinctual thing, but you don't see his first steps. You don't sort of see that wide camera view. By the time it cuts to the overhead camera, he's usually, <laughs> at least sometimes, already in motion. <laughs> but the problem is, his first step is so slow. He is so bad at getting out of his crouch that. You know, he makes a great back, what looks like a great backhand play. Again, most shortstops get in front of it. Or he just gets, doesn't get to something up the middle that, again, an average shortstop would actually get to. And then you have the issue that he's incredibly slow getting the ball out. It's just, you know, it's hard to be a fucking major league shortstop. Yeah. You have 4.5 seconds, give or take, to do a series of often very tough things, and you have to do them all well. Yeah, look, I mean, his defense is not good. I think the the bat's carrying him a little bit. I I, I don't necessarily think that there's a better option uh, right now, though, to be honest. Like, I'm not really in the mood to shift him over to third base to play Ligaris. Uh, I mean, not Ligaris. That would be great if they played Ligaris at shortstop. That would be fun. (laughs) I don't don't really necessarily want to make room for Tejada's bat. Like, I mean, I know he's been playing well, but, like, I'm not necessarily a believer in that whole situation yet. So, well, I don't think that his defense is good, and I think it's actually quite bad. I think that the overall package right now is not a black hole. It's not a dumpster fire. And I think that you've got to roll with it because that's uh, you're probably your best option uh, within the organization right now. But this really isn't, you know, my main annoyance here isn't really with Wilmer Flores. Right. 
It's weird. They just stop. I don't... Like, it got to the point where, like, Keith Law and Kevin Burkhart were arguing about it on Twitter today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on, guys. Yeah. Just, you're... It, he's become the new Murphy, where we just argue vehemently about whether he's a little bit above average or a little bit below average. It's yeah. just not... And a lot of the people... By the way, a lot of the people I see advocating for Wilmer Flores are using arguments that would, you know, when Mets police makes them about Daniel Murphy, they laugh, they, you know, they roll their eyes or whatever. It's the yeah. same, like, level of arguments. It's just sort of sabermetrically inclined, but it's the same kind of, like, paper-thin stuff. Yeah. And really, they're the same player in a lot of ways. But I think there's more attachment to Flores because we see, I don't know if we see potential there, if we're more attached because of a bigger prospect. And look, I like... Rumor Flores. Right, I want him you to would do not, well. You would, yeah, you would not know that from listening to the show, probably. Right, but right. I know, really he, want him to do well. He has worked, and he, you know, he's in much better shape now than he was even two years ago, let alone four years ago. He has worked his ass off to be a 20 major league shortstop. <laughs> but seriously, there's some guys that can't do that. And I yeah. joke about it, but he's probably a better shortstop than Juan Ligaris. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but again, playing a major league shortstop is fucking hard, as we'll get to when we talk about uh, the B-Mets in a bit. Oh, boy. Um, but that's your negative. Yeah, it's just, it's, they need to, it's just the, the conversation around Wilmer Flores and the stubbornness around Wilmer Flores on all sides, whether it's, you know, the Mets front office, the Mets coaching staff, or Mets Twitter. All right, I agree with you uh, about all of that. Um, you want to hear mine? Mm-hmm. Francisco Lindor is probably not available. This has been Shortstop Avenue Audio, the Mariners Brad Miller, a dollar per war killer, or merely just podcast filler for Shortstop Avenue Audio. Now, nothing will ruin the Muda like Flores to Murphy to Duda, and I really don't mean to be Ruda, but I'm tired of Shortstop Avenue Audio. So that's enough song for today. Wait, why didn't they just keep Jose? We'll be back next week anyway with more Shortstop Avenue Audio. Okay. Uh, my biggest negative so far this year uh, has been the bench and the overall uh, batting depth on the team. It's actually something I thought was going to be a strength for the team. I thought that guys like um, Danny Munno, uh, Dilson Herrera, uh, Matt Reynolds, uh, I, I thought Campbell would give you a little bit more. And I thought, I definitely thought Mayberry, although he's been uh, coming around of late um i thought we were going to get a lot more from them and i think that given the right absence murphy absence you know herrera was out for a little bit i was really disappointed by just how bad the depth was uh in just stepping in and and really just not holding their own at all i mean campbell was hitting you know below 200 playing a really shitty defense uh, at third, uh, Mono has been not great, uh, putting it lightly, you know, and Mayberry, you know, oh, he's come on lately, but there was a stretch there where he was just being miserable. And then you go further than that and you got Matt Reynolds floundering down in triple A. He has not, not been that bad. 
He's been he's been not great. Let's That's been like that a way. thing in in the in the miners recap comments for a month or two now. He hasn't been that bad. Yeah, I know it's Vegas, but you can't just like wash out his really good stretch in Vegas either last year. Fine. And the Fair underlying enough. peripherals haven't. Yeah, I mean, I get it. The whole I back still think, end. I still think that he would probably be a better option yes. uh, on the roster than Campbell because yes. he plays good defense. And he'll be a better major league hitter than Eric Campbell. A dude can hit 260 in the majors, which I don't necessarily think Eric Campbell can. Um, <clears throat> I think the whole back end roster management in general has been weird. Um, like you said, you know, Siciliani is hitting now. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, but just like. You know, making room for guys like Siciliani and, and Mono over, you know, Matt Reynolds or even Wilfredo Tovar, who have, I think, more clearer uses or more clearer roles on this team right now or in the past month or two, that you, you could find roles for them yeah. more easily. I didn't even mention Kirk. I mean, Kirk had a bad 50 at Bassett against DFA. That's what happens to... Right, but it was about as bad as you can It was pretty bad, do. yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that has certainly been an issue. And part of it is injuries. Forcing, you know... It's forcing like, guys into roles. Forcing guys yeah, into I mean, roles and weakening the bench. And I, I, the next guy up mentality is, is great when you have a little bit better quality depth in AAA. And this year, they just don't have it. You know, sometimes you have seasons like that where it's just not quite there. And it just isn't... They didn't sign as many... Uh, minor league free agents because they had a bit of a roster crunch at Vegas. Mm. Sort of the fruits of the last, you know, five years of the draft or so are starting to starting to get there. Yeah, they really only went with uh, Castellanos. Yeah, and Manel. Yeah, and I guess Brandon Allen again. But yeah. it, it has been. No, it's been bad certainly, and that's the thing that's you would think. You know, once Murphy's back, you know, Tahada can slide back to the bench. You know, once David Wright is back, theoretically by the All Star break, but we'll see. Whatever, I don't know. Um, you know, you can you can you can realign there. You know, maybe Siciliani will turn to something. I kind of slagged him when he came up uh, a month ago or so when Kirk wasn't hitting, but you know, he could be a fifth outfielder. Hey, he hit one into the Pepsi porch when I was there. It was it was pretty impressive. And he almost hit another one out in that game too. It might be you know, it might just be a, a good hot stretch like we saw from Campbell when he first got called up last year. I don't know, but. Yeah. And he gunned out Mabin at home. That was nice too. No, he's not a he's not a bad left fielder. He's got a couple a couple good games. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's it's a long season. Yeah, the swing's got a lot of moving parts. We'll see. And he's got a couple more hits today, but whatever. Yes, he does. More good news. More good news. More good news. Okay. I'm gonna wrap up my 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 uh, feedback here. The Mets are in first place. We're, we're far enough into the season now where this is a thing. Yeah, for today, they're still in first place, yeah. I, I, I have trouble taking it seriously because everyone else is so bad, but I guess, you know, you don't really That's have why to. you have to take it seriously, I think. Wait, so, you know what? I mean, like, if the Nationals, coming into the season, we said, what's going to slow down the Nationals? What's their Achilles heel? Injuries. And what do they have? They have injuries. They've had them all season long. And you know what? That can keep happening. I mean, if the Mets get healthy and if they stay hurt, it's it, it could happen. Eighty six wins, take down the NL East. It, it's look, you you can't pick your family, as they say. You can't pick your division. <laughs> and this year, 
as I said before, the division's a tire fire. And I don't... I don't... Yes, it's still possible the Nats roll off 9 to 10 and the Mets don't do that, which doesn't look likely. And they try to put some distance between them and we sort of go from there. But, I mean, they're getting an all, like, an all-time season from Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. And all, like, a... They're basically getting an MVP season from Bryce Harper and not just an MVP season. Like, a top-line, you know, mantle... Again, it's you know, only a third of the way into the season. But, you know, like a mantle maze, trout, whatever you want to call it. You oh, know, yeah. type... MVP season. And they're getting a Cy Young season from, from Max Scherzer. Scherzer. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still kind of just... Meh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, their starting pitching has been hurt and not as effective as and we thought Ian it would Des- be. Ian Desmond's been a terrible... Ian Desmond's been bad. Um, their bullpen's Zimmerman. not great. Zimmerman's... That's like going to be an underrated bad contract soon. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I mean, he's got. He's. I mean, he's obviously been hurt, but yeah. Uh, and they that, don't have a. They don't have a ton of like ready options. You know, Michael Taylor has been up a, a fair amount, but they don't have really any big name prospects ready this year. Now, look, they can go out and get somebody. They put Lucas Giolito on the table. They can make a move. The Mets probably can't and probably aren't inclined to to do. Mm-hmm. It's a long way to go. But, you know, the lineup's a little peppier with Darno and Herrera back. You know, Murphy's only a week away. You know, David Wright might be back at the All-Star break. Probably not. But David Wright might be back at the All-Star break. Yeah. The pitching is good. Steven Matz, motherfucker, will be here in a week or two. Sounds like July 1st. I get more... All I've gotten today at work were, like, Steven Matz fantasy baseball questions. Like, should I pick up Steven Matz? Sound like pick up Steven Matz. The answer is probably yes. That would be a good time to pick up Steven Matz. There's your your one bit of fantasy baseball advice for the year, podcast listeners. <laughs> uh, you know, Mejia will help stabilize the pen in a month, hopefully, or less than it now. Which, you know, yeah, no. the, the bullpen's been good, but it looks a little shaky now. And we're at the point where we're saying things like Eric Goodell going down with an elbow injury is a serious blow. Yeah, they, so. they've, they've gotten some good stretches from guys who probably are not as good as they are, so any upgrade to the bullpen is welcome. All right, so what's your last bit of good news for the Mets and Mets fans? All right, I'll, I'll do... My, my, okay, my last good thing is Dilson Herrera, um, who's been better than I anticipated, uh, or, or about what I had hoped he would be so far. I mean, it's a very small sample size, obviously. Um, but he looks really good at second base uh, to my eye. Um, of course, it helps that I was at the game the other day where he makes that diving grab with the glove and flipped it over to Flores. So I'm a little biased probably. But he's looking very competent at um, at second, probably an upgrade over Murph in terms of glove. And so far, he's been giving you what Murph gives you with the bat, you know, and he's got he's got a little bit decent speed, and um, I just think that when you get to the point where everyone's healthy, okay, and you got a guy like Herrera who can then come off the bench, you know, instead of a Campbell who's coming off the bench. Uh, Is this because David Wright might be back at the All Star break? Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, I just say like I think her is the everyday second baseman for the rest of the season, but okay. Probably. Probably. But that that all depends on how you feel about Wright coming back and being effective. But this is supposed to be the good news session section, so we'll go with that. Yeah, come on, stop raining on my parade here. So I I just I'm really happy with with Herrera. He's one of the guys who uh, was a depth guy who I thought was going to be key to the team uh, after you know a couple weeks and and got some service time back, and he's been he's been great, and I'm excited about him and. I think that everyone else should be too. We're getting a slow motion replay of Pasa diving Flores right now. <laughs> oh, nice. It's <laughs> supposed to be the good news section. Wait, one more good thing. Okay. And and that's it. Matt Harvey, while not being uh, himself, he is healthy. He is healthy, and, yes. And he is still healthy, and he's still throwing the ball 99 miles an hour, and I am very optimistic about him going forward. All right, we do have to get the actual news of the week. Yes. And there's a fair amount of it, but the, the lead story here is Dylan G was DFA'd, mm. designated for assignment on Monday. Thankfully not on Sunday when all the other news broke while I was driving back from Binghamton. <laughs> Kiel Morris called up. I literally only like knew about that because my phone lit up with a giant, again, all caps DM from the prospect hate man about Kiel <laughs> Morris getting called up directly from advance day. But that happened. There was a rumor that Noah Syndergaard might go to the bullpen. And we'll be covering those because on Monday, Dylan G was designated for assignment. Yeah. So now we have to get into like something I don't like to do on the podcast, which is the vagaries of MLB roster processes. Greg. Well, we did figure it out. I think we I think so. I think so. <laughs> These are things only a lawyer could love, and I usually just sort of leave to TPG Mets. But my understanding. He's off the forty man. He's exposed yeah. to the wave uh, to the waiver waiver claim process, the waiver yeah. wire, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Which also doesn't help because there's like three different kinds of waivers. Uh, the Mets can pull back, pull him back, and outright him. Oh, sorry, the Mets can can they pull him back and option him? Have we established that? Or do they have to outright him? Um, I think that because. I think because they've DFA'd him, I don't think they have. They can. I don't think they can pull him back and then option. Right. So, but if he clears, they can outright him, and he can only. He can't refuse without forfeiting the rest of his salary because he has more than three years, but less than five years of service time. Right. I guess we didn't figure it out. I'm going to figure it out, but <laughs> for for the purposes of this segment <laughs> and the show, really. Um, Dylan G will not be pitching in any capacity for the major league team for a while. Now this could be, I don't know why they didn't do this instead of optioning him. Um, it could be, they sort of want to sh- well, you know, shake the trade market up a little bit. Be like, all right, we got seven exactly. days. Give me your best offer now if you want. Right. It. Cause functionally it's, it's the same. Yeah. I mean, they're going, the, he's worst going thing through... the worst thing they're going to get is salary relief basically. Right. And we'll see if that's what they want to do. I mean, personally, I think that he's best served right now providing you some depth. I mean, I'm not sure what you can get back from him in a trade or anything like that. Right. If you can get anything, uh, if you can get anything and they'll take the salary, I think you got to do it. Um, it's just it's just an unfortunate, I mean, fortunate, whatever. The Mets don't need a Dylan G right now. Okay. He's, he's, a, he's a league average or worse he has not been a league average pitcher this not year, this certainly. year certainly not but like he's a good fifth starter for a bad team 
Right, and that's what it, I, you know, I'm, I'm literally, there are some numbers I tweeted out, and yes, I'm just whole cloth reading my tweets on the show now, instead of just sort of like working through the material for the show. Do it. On my Twitter feed. So the team ERA plus. <laughs> oh, okay, I saw it, yeah. On the Mets good. since G's first full season. 88, 93, 95, 100, 104 this year. G, 83, 93, 98, 88, 63. You know, something was going to give here, eventually. You know, I, I've seen some sentiment uh, online that G should be sort of praised for pitching hard or pitching well-ish for bad teams. But, you know, one of the reasons he threw as many innings for the Mets as he did is because those were bad teams. And they didn't have better options in the rotation. Yeah, now they and, do. That's, you know, that's... You know, he's going to find work. He's done well for himself. Yeah. Right? That, that's what the money's for, okay? I mean, yeah. he's he's done very well for himself. He's, he's logged a lot of innings, a lot of starts... And he's made a lot of money for himself in terms of arbitration. So I'm, I'm, I look. He's a nice guy. Fine. I'm not really going to shed any tears for Dylan G right now. You know, there's room. There's plenty of room in this league for a below average pitcher that can give you some innings. But do you yeah. want the Mets to be that team right, right. now? This is this team is now. It's it's moving beyond a guy like G. A, guy, a G was a stalwart of a of a and it, it, I, not I great team. It's not even that they could certainly use a pitcher like Dylan G as like rotation depth as rotation depth but they're, yeah, sure. you know, it's a guy that they're paying five and I'm five and change this year too I think a guy they're going to non-tender in the off season anyway and I got killed on Twitter by the way in off saying, season this past off season saying they yeah. should consider non-tendering him yeah and I mean I guess given coming into the season it was good that they had him as sort of a bridge but you know, it's not like they weren't actively trying to trade him all off season either, and it's not like the you know for a normal team, even a good team, that keeping a five million dollar six starter around would be an issue. But these are the Mets, specifically the post Madoff uh, Wilpon Mets. Yeah, and the only reason that he has he has would have value still, I think, for the Mets as depth now is is because of Montero's injury. I mean. I feel like yeah, what is I, up I, with that? Like, he's, uh, yeah, he I had don't know shoulder stiffness and then nothing. Yeah, like I'm sure he's in Port St. Lucie, just throwing in anonymously or whatever. But a healthy Montero makes G completely and utterly, re- you know, redundant and unnecessary. And I do. But, I want to. I I made this point last week, but I'm actually going to reiterate it because I think some of the things Terry Collins said. Leading up to this and after, immediately after this, makes me think one of the reasons he was DFA'd was it was becoming a bit of a clubhouse situation. And his comments uh, were not very, uh, at least in my mind, they were not very professional. Yeah, and I mean he gets and he gets a pass on he all gets of a that. pass on that because he's he's giving reporters material at three thirty in the afternoon when they need it badly, and you know you were there at pitch talks. With me, Greg Karam. Yeah. Who did both Anthony DeComo and Mark Carrig say was the hardest player to deal with? Oh, Matt Harvey. Yeah. But you take Matt Harvey or Dylan G every day of the week. That just the perspective's yeah. different. Mets fans, look, you want to root for good guys, I guess, in a vacuum. You do. But we all love the 1986 team. And the title of their book is The Bad Guys Won for a reason. <laughs> you know, time, I guess, makes your assholishness more charming. I mean, maybe it does. Either way, winning papers over it. 
Uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess you prefer there not be like two standards for stuff like that. But by the same token, I don't want to say that I don't want to make a declaration that how you deal with the New York City uh, New York City media is a referendum on your moral character. So I find that hard to believe. Yeah. You know, you're not your job. Right. Right. And again, Dylan G is giving reporters. First of all, he's answering their questions. He makes their job. They're on a deadline. Every start, good or bad, answers their questions. And then he gives them what's fairly juicy information by, you know, baseball story standards about not being happy with the with a management decision, essentially. Yeah. You know, those quotes don't usually get given. And it came out early. You know, I think Dan Worthen gave a quote, you know, when Matt Harvey was saying he was upset with the with the six-man rotation. He said the sixth guy is not happy about it either. <laughs> you know, that you know, stuff matters. Uh, and in the end, it's like, yeah, I mean, geez, it's a, it's a nice story. You know, 20th round draft pick. You know, there was a piece written, I think, a few years ago how he sort of got a... Uh, had like a special showcase for the Mets and that's why he got drafted. Um, and you know, sort of for a, another example of that, the story that Mark Craig wrote on J.R.'s Familia this past week. Yeah. About him building a house in the Dominican. It's a really cool story. It's a great story. And you know what? It doesn't get written if he doesn't figure out his fastball command last year. Because he's yeah. not in the majors now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's in, in the end, on-field matters. And I, I gave you the numbers. Yeah. I don't, I know, it's like, you don't ever want to take a, a victory lap for a dude losing his job, certainly. Right. And I'm not doing that, but, you know, this is very clearly a baseball decision. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, it's, this is his job. I mean, if he gets sent to Vegas, you know, if he gets optioned to Vegas or whatever, you know, that that's part of his job. You know, I mean, he doesn't, you know, have a right to be and on the gonna, major he's league He's going to find a job next year pitching yeah, he, for a, be, as a starter probably for a major league team. He'll be fine. I will say I did enjoy the tweet from Jason Stark where he talked to a scout about it and he said, yeah, he's not pitching well right now, but he'll be fine. He can really help a... Uh, you know, help a help a club with a big stadium. Like every pitcher can help a club. Like every pitcher, a big stadium's good for every pitcher. Oh, you'd be great in San Diego. Yeah, everybody would be good in San Diego. <laughs> uh. Uh, that's good. So I moved to Binghamton, where I yes. went, where I went this past weekend, and I'm a little, I'm a little. Uh, this might be my last trip to Binghamton. Yeah, because you know, they're going to move. I don't know what the deal is with the, with the settling the case with the ownership group in Delaware actually means. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bittersweet, i got to say. All right. If this is my last trip, I'm going to miss it. Um, I will also say, they fucking gouge you for a new BMS hat in the team store. How much? $30. $30 in the so park? I know. I needed one. Because I figured it might be my last trip, and I like my B Mets hat is very old at this point. I think it's one of the first minor league Mets hats I got, so it's showing its age. But uh, it did come with the I got I got a championship DVD. It's like the recap of their championship season last year. I haven't oh, watched it yet. That's actually kind of cool. It is kind of cool. I don't know if it's you know I don't know if they have actual it's like I've seen some of their camera angles. It's not. We'll see. Whatever. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm sure there's interesting stuff in there. I also got two BMET shot glasses because that's how I roll. Um, so these these kind of trips, I never get to see much of the actual city because you know day game, night game Saturday, 
day game Sunday. I had to kind of rush in because they had the completion of the suspended game from Friday, which was nice because I got a couple extra Michael Conforto at bats out of the deal. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to go to the Lost Dog Cafe. No. It was it's closed on Sunday, which I actually know because uh, my wife tried to go there when she was up at Binghamton in April. She was at a conference at SUNY Binghamton, of course, when the BMETs were on the road. So I couldn't make like a convenient trip with her. But I did end up going to Loft at 99 for brunch. Uh, and I'm sure you all, all you out there have read Kitchen Confidential, so judging a restaurant based on their brunch uh, menu, food service isn't the best. But uh, the coffee was good and the beignets were good. And it seems like it's got a cool vibe. So, uh... Alright. I will say, so I walked in, I actually posted this to our internal internal message list. But, uh, so I walk in for brunch there. It's down at the bar. And there's just a half a bottle of Pappy. I think it was Pappy, uh, Pappy 20. At least it looks like it from, from the label. Uh, staring back at me. I'm like, you got to be kidding I, me. I thought, okay, that makes more sense because I thought that's what you saw like when you walked into like the press box or something. No, no, like, no. I, that, yeah. I made it very clear when I was at brunch. <laughs> Bit a bottle of Pappy 20 in the press box. Fuck it, let's go. I mean, come on. It's brunch. You work a little too early. I know. I didn't drink it. <laughs> uh, less reservedly, I can recommend... Uh, the farmhouse in Oneana, which is where I stopped my way back, because uh, they've been doing endless construction in Binghamton, like literally since I started going there, uh, in and around the city. And uh, the normal on ramp I take to get back on seventeen is closed. Cause I usually go seventeen to eighty four, uh, and it like rerouted me my GPS to eighty eight, which did not make me happy. She's like eighty eight to throughway or something. Eighty eight to the throughway to Mass Pike, yeah. Oh. Which was not good. Um, but yeah, Farmhouse in Aniana. It's right off the... It's right off 88. It's a lot of good spots casual, in Aniana. Uh, Aniana really is good, a good town. Yeah, really good clam strips. Cool. But you don't care about any of this, but I, this is a spiel I do before I ever... You know, every time I introduce like a actual uh, trip where I see my early players, and you care about those players. So let's start at the top, Greg. Yeah. 2014 first round pick Michael Conforto. Yeah, all right. Reasons I actually made a trip up to Binghamton instead of waiting another month for them to come to uh, New Britain for six at the end of the year. And I was one one of the low guys on him. We did our preseason lists. Yeah, yeah. I tend to be conservative with uh, new draftees as a general rule. And in my brief look at him in Brooklyn, I wasn't overly impressed. Um, he's really impressive. <laughs> uh, you know you I think it gets cast a little bit as sort of a a money ball pick in comparison to sort of the recent top Mets draft picks sort of the idea that we're not selling jeans here you know, it's short stocky physique you know college guy with the corner profile good approach good numbers you know, he doesn't look like Brandon Nimmo but I'll say this dude has massive forearms yeah. Like, they're just, like, Popeye forearms, and he uses them. He gets the bat through the zone quickly. Uh, he hit a uh, home run on Saturday, and, yeah, it was a 90-mile-an-hour fastball down and in, but he dropped the barrel and put it into the, you know, over the fence in the power alley without a problem. And that's not, you know, it's not, the park doesn't play huge, but it's not that easy to hit, uh, hit a home run to the sort of the middle of the field there. 
So that was impressive. Nice. Um, but it wasn't his most impressive at bat. I have to say, you know, it was nice to see. You want to see the power playing games. And, you know, he zoned an average fastball and obliterated it. But, you know, there are guys in double A that can do that. I've seen Jared King do that from the left side. The stuff that impressed me were his last two at-bats in the Sunday afternoon game. Um, the first one, he was facing a, a right-handed reliever that was throwing, like, 96 to 99 with a 90-mile-an-hour, like, split-change thing. Wow. So, yeah, it was... And it was, like... It took me a minute, because it did not... I mean, it, it was lively out of his hand, but it was easy velocity. Um, and... He just kept fouling it off. He could not barrel his fastball. You know, it's 98 miles an hour. But he kept fouling off tough pitches... You know, he laid off the off, some tough off-speed stuff that was close. You know, he sort of worked the pitcher and adjusted during the at-bat. That's great. Uh, and eventually worked a walk because the guy, he couldn't throw his off-speed stuff for strikes. And there were some close takes there, too. It wasn't like, you know, the guy was just throwing the ball everywhere. Uh, and then his, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds it's, good. It's, it's not sense. just like, and it's like, he was drafted in part because he had an advanced approach. You know, you know, Mets love the advanced approach guys. Strike zone control. Um, but this was not just a good approach. This was a major league quality at bat, which is what impressed me. Mm. His last one, too. Um, you know, it's first and third, I think, two outs. They just tied the game. Bottom of the ninth, got a chance to walk it off. You know, the New Britain closer spots a fastball away for strike one. I believe he gets a foul ball on a breaking ball after that. You know, laid off an off-speed pitch off the zone. And when he gets a fastball again, just goes back up the middle. Doesn't try to pull it, doesn't try to yank it. Just works right back up the middle. Stays level. Game over. Which was great for me because I did not want to stay for extra innings at that point. No one wants to. <laughs> I had a long drive ahead of me. Um, now, the biggest question for me, at least offensively, is how, how sort of how far the hit tool comes along. Because he's going to have to start making some adjustments at this level. You know, he he hits the ninety mile an hour fastballs, obviously. Um, and he actually, you know, he's strong enough, and he's got enough bat control where he, you know, he stayed back on a couple breaking balls down, was able to sort of hook him into right field with some authority. He's a strong kid. Um, but I believe both of those were in were in sort of you know pitchers counts, off speed counts. The difference he's going to find at this level is that pitchers will throw him off-speed in any count. And that he didn't really adjust great to uh, in the look that I saw. You know, he was he was in grip-it and rip-it mode when it was 2-1. And, you know, guys in that level can start a 2-1 curve in the zone, 2-1 slider in the zone, 2-1 change-up in the zone. And if you're in, you know, if you're in St. Lucie, they're probably going to try to get, get a fastball over there. Um, and he was in the mode of trying to barrel a fastball and hit it hard in those counts. So he looked, he had some silly swings. So that's an adjustment he's going to have to make. Uh, and I think he makes it because, again, he, he looks like a really smart hitter. I think given some reps there. I'd leave him in double-A for the rest of the year. I know well, he's, he's going to hit and Mets fans are going to clamor to get him a late-season promotion. But I let him make the adjustment at that level. All right, let's, let's phrase it another way. Let's say... Um, Let's say, you know, a month from now, uh, Mets are in first place still. Michael Kadire goes down. So that's a good question. And that's a question I am going to save for a different podcast. Okay. Uh, but we will be addressing that question this week. Okay. 
Ah, okay. I got you. <laughs> I got you. All right. Um, I will say it's sort of more generally sort of like for hit tool stuff. The swing's a little long, and he is geared for power, so I don't know if he's like, like a 280, 290 hitter. I think he'll hit enough. I think he'll be an average hitter, and that's fine. Because I think there's plus power there in-game that will show. And if you know, he's 260 with 20 home runs and a good approach that draws some walks, that's a solid everyday player in left field. And he's not bad in left field. He really isn't. Um, he's not a... I would say he's not a burner, and that's certainly true. He's not really a runner. <laughs> he's not quick, but you know he knows how to play left field. You don't have to be that fast. Good instincts, good roots. Um, the arm's average, but he, he makes accurate throws. He can make accurate throws on the run, so I think it plays up a little bit. He's going to be fine in his 20s. So, Let me see what Jeff Moore said when he's on the show. He'll be fine there in his 20s. He's not an asset, but he's a solid everyday left fielder. Better prospect than Brandon Nimmo. Yes. I know we had a podcast question, an email about that uh, a little while back. I Yeah, I would put Conforto over Nimmo now. Okay. Comfortably. Uh, he's clearly the best position player prospect in the system. Yeah, Once Matz is up, I think he's number one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I might see something crazy from Ahmed Rosario in St. Lucie in two weeks. Um, you know, maybe one of the international kids is a monster i don't know but even they're they're so far away even rosario at this point that's gotta go with yeah i gotta go with comforto here um, i will be writing him up this week once i find actual time um but if you want the spoilers i've got him as like ofp 60 likely 55 oh wow long the missed a ball i've never seen that before it's been a common theme this year So, there's another first-round pick in Binghamton, Greg. Yes, there was, yeah. yeah. One you like quite a fair bit, as I, I recall. Do. I do. It's Gavin Cicchini. Yeah. I was worried I was going to miss him again. Because Yeah, Thursday, he gets pulled from the lineup because he felt something. And then he's not in the game Friday, not in the suspended game when they resume. But he did play Saturday and Sunday. Um, so he has tweaked the swing a little bit. He doesn't have that big leg kick anymore. Mm-hmm that we talked about uh, preseason and last year. Uh, he's very wide stance still, open stance. He just uses a little toe tap for timing and transfer. Uh, the, good, the back control is still there, very level swing, line drive, gap to gap. He's not a very... I think part of that is without the leg kick anymore to sort of really get his momentum forward. He's not a very physical hitter anymore. I mean, he's never going to have huge power. Um, but he looks definitely more like a doubles hitter. They did with that leg kick. Though I think, on balance, I like the changes they've made to his swing, at least in this in this brief look. And Saturday, he didn't have a great game. New Britain had a really funky righty on the mound. I think I described him as uh, Marcos Molina with worse mechanics. Oh, <laughs> like he was not like there were like it wasn't even like in time. Was the main problem. Like, it just, he's like, it's the same sort of like, doesn't use his legs, strides, turns the ball over and throws, and they're all kind of like discrete motions. But he just, he had a lot of trouble picking the ball up, you could tell. Um, he was like late on 90 mile an hour fastballs. That's not the end of the world. Sunday, he he made been out, good, he'd been out for a couple of days. Yeah, sure. Sunday, he made some good contact, ripped one right down the line, the third base, and made a nice play on. I, you know, I think the bat will be fine. Uh, again, it's not. 
a plus offensive profile, but you know, if it, if you're a average everyday shortstop, that's not a big deal. That's actually a pretty nice player. How does the bat compare to like a like a Matt Reynolds? Um, I would say it's. I mean, the swing is different, but I would say the offensive profile is probably comparable. Okay. And Chikini's approach, I think, is a little better. So you might grind out a few more walks. It'll be a little bit less of an empty 260, 270. Okay. But that's not really the issue here. Yeah. I don't know that he's a shortstop. <laughs> yeah, that that's that seems to be the issue, uh, right? I mean... And that, and that kind of kills it. Like, I don't... He, I didn't get to see him handle a ton of chances. Um... But, you know, there's some things, even in a brief look, you can pick up on. And I think the arm's going to be a problem there. Like, we're not even talking, like, we're not talking range-based stuff. We're talking about, like, like handling, like, the just the mechanics of playing shortstop. Well, I like his, I know there's been some reports, Prospectus, and a couple other places recently that I don't hate his actions there. And I think he's a, 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 a good... You know his his instincts in the infield are good, and mm-hmm. his actions are okay. You know his transfer is pretty clean. The problem is he tends to have to rush things because his arm's a little short. Um, and okay. he's, when he's really tested to make a throw and really has to like get every ounce of him behind it, the arm gets a little scattershot. Okay, and then, just plays moving a little bit to his right you know, on the backhand or running, coming around a ball and then having to make a throw a little bit on the run, sort of towards third base. The, the throws, and he made a couple bad throws back to back. You know, Adderlin bailed him out on one. The other one, when he was, I think the pitcher was running and he just threw it high. Um, and he's not the fastest guy in the world. You know, he's a below average runner at this point. But his first step, like I said, his instincts are, are good enough that wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. Like, I think it's a. A good second base profile, but that, you know, that with that puts bat, more pressure on the bat. Puts pressure yeah. on the bat. It might be more of a utility, like a good utility type. I think there's value there. I think he's a major leaguer, but I say that I was hoping for a little bit more. Okay, I mean, the reports have been consistently bad on the defense, and they've only continued this year. Because I mean, I think he has. You can't really go by uh, minor league errors, I know, but like he, he is fifteen, and that's quite I mean, a bit. I mean, Louis Gourmet has like eleven or something in Savannah, so I don't. Well, yeah, but you know, but the kind of errors most I of them saw are him make were not. Yeah, they were. You know, it, it, it's stuff that gives you a little bit of pause. I mean, this might be all null and void because the Mets might just keep him at shortstop anyway. I think he's a better shortstop than Flores, so. Well, you know, that's that's something I keep doing is I'm, I'm I chat I look at like you know what was Flores doing at Double A at this time and what was Chikini doing and you know the, the numbers are actually fairly comparable um right down the line pretty much and so i you know i guess it does come it might end up coming down to you know Chikini's who he's not gonna start yanking balls over the fence at city though well yeah probably not yeah flores hit for a few, couple more home runs but yeah hey i mean it's not you know it's not the report you want to hear but I mean, it's a major, I, I still, it's, it's it's still a major a good leaguer. year for him so Yeah, far, it's a I good think. year. He's a major leaguer in my book, certainly. But, yeah, it's just not... You know, I held it's out not... hope. I saw I saw some improvements in Savannah last year, but 
You know, and like I said, like you said, like we said at the open, it's fucking hard to play a major league shortstop. There's a lot yeah. of things you have to be able to do well. And Chikini does, you know, two and a half out of those four things, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, hey, so it's it's nothing to get excited about, I guess, is what you're saying, but it's still something that's good. <laughs> you want something else to get excited about, Robert Gazelman? Oh yeah, I like it's 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 a weird. I don't want to say it's a weird profile. Um, you know, we had Jeff Moore on the show about a about a month ago, and I, you know, I saw. I'll say I saw basically the same thing. Jeff saw. You know, he was dominating with fastball command. Mm-hmm. You know, breaking bats, guys were just beating it into the ground. You know, ninety to ninety-two was sink and run uh, with the two-seamer. Threw a lot of changeups early, and the first one he threw was like a plus major league changeup. And then he didn't throw another one like that the rest of the game. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my! And then it's just like, okay, yeah, no, this pitch is incredibly inconsistent. Never mind. <laughs> well, you can get there then. You know? it, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's certainly some potential in the change. It's good that he's throwing it more than the curve. Um, I'll say, I, I you know, I like the curve maybe a tick less than than Jeff did. It's it's going to be a majorly quality offering certainly. Um, the one thing I did notice when he tried to bury it. Um, he could start it in the zone, but it tended to get sweepy. Like when he was going really good, it's a dead like over the top, not quite twelve to six, but certainly eleven to five curveball, and it's tight spin. But when he tries to bury it, it gets a little sweepy, and you know, major league hitters can see that and I think lay lay off a little more. And even the double A hitters were, you know, the, mm-hmm. they can tell that pitch is going to end up in the opposite batter's box. Mm-hmm. So I like to see him tighten that, you know, command that that type of curve a little better but um other than that yeah i mean he just he never was really in trouble you guys so were... so wh- why doesn't he strike more guys out because he just is his fastball changeup. he's not trying okay. to not trying to um and look that's that's not you know that's how that's gonna play at higher levels i wish there's a little bit more fastball there you know, if he yeah. was ninety-one to ninety-four with that kind of a two-seamer, you know that's a certainly a three, maybe a borderline two starter. Well, he has low effort mechanics too, right? Am yes, I, he does. Right? So it's very, so... it's very easy. Um, I just, I don't like. I don't know how that plays at higher levels. I think it's a major league arm, certainly. And I've seen him with more velocity in the past. He touched ninety-five for me in Brooklyn. I think he was throwing a four-seamer then. So, yeah, I, I almost like him to integrate that back in just to give guys a different look every once in a while to elevate yeah. but you know he's when the fastball commands there and it's pretty close to major league average right now and i think there's a little more there and you know, they can't handle it uh there's another thing i liked he was uh since it was an nl nl game he had to bat oh uh and his second at bat he walked in the first one but uh you know he struck out and the, the strike zone all weekend was a little weird. You know, this is a 2-1 game in the 5th or whatever. And it's a 7-inning game because it's technically a, the second game of the day. And he takes, like, a called strike 3. That may have been a little bit inside. And as he's leaving, he, like, says something to the umpire. But then turns around and, like, smiles. And they both start laughing. I think they both start laughing. I'm like, who does that in a 2-1 game when you're pitching? Like, he's just so, like... That's good. Relaxed out there and confident yeah. to just... I kind of like to see a little. I don't know if that if that's like rig or what that is exactly. It's not really rig, but it's just kind of like 
it's like so very like Southern California thing, I think. Maybe chill. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just and he just went back out there and took care of business the next inning. That's good. It sounds like uh, maybe you know can provide some some death maybe next year. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he'll start in he'll spend the rest of the year in, in Binghamton and start in Vegas. And again, it's probably like a number four with a chance to be a number three if the change improves. Um, That's good. But it's good. He's the <laughs> second best pitching prospect in the system now, which might end up being a problem long term. But we'll get to that later. Um, hopefully after I see more arms. But I was I liked um, I liked Gazelman. Uh Matt Cook's an interesting one too, I have to say. Um, oh, now they really? move him to the pen. Yeah. You know, it's like ninety two to ninety six, heavy, heavy fastball. Uh and and the slider is coming along. Considering, you know, the reports I'd seen, I think, you know, Toby Hyde wrote about the one hitter he threw in Savannah a couple of years ago that was like ninety percent fastballs. Mm. Well, that, that was the slider role. a lot more I mean, now. They drafted him as a reliever. I mean, he was, right, he a, was reliever. a reliever, and they tried they to him a starter, and it, yeah. it cost him some fastball velocity. And but yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that could help in the pen, maybe by the end of this year, really. Um, certainly by next year, he's he's interesting as a pen arm. Cool. I think that's everything. Anybody else? Can think of. Uh. What other starters did you see? I saw Seth Lugo on Sunday. Okay, anything there? Um, it's a good curveball. He didn't use it for the first four innings. I wonder okay. if that was... Look, he was throwing all sliders. I wonder if that was like a, a work-on thing, because they had no chance at the curve. It's like a tighter Colin McHugh curve. It's, got that, it's not really a lollipop, because McHugh's more of a lollipop, but it's like a low 70s curve that just a lot of depth to it. Like, he didn't use it at all, and then, I don't think there was anybody on base, but he got to, like, the number eight hitter, just threw him three straight curves, and the inning was over. <laughs> um, he touched, I had a report he touched 95, which I guess I can believe. He touched 93 a couple times, I think 94 once. But, I mean, he basically works 88 to 90 with the fastball. Okay. Well, um, there's just not enough. Uh, I think he can turn himself into a, you know, a fastball slider curveball reliever. Carlos Torres, maybe. You know, maybe he gets there in short bursts. So they just let him throw a four seamer, ninety two to ninety four, out of the pen. All right. I know he started off really good for Binghamton this year, but uh, you know he's he's you know better than the usual class of like you know double A or guy arms. I think I think he's got a chance. How about uh, L J Mazzilli? L J Mazzilli. Um, I just I've never gotten it. This okay. is never. I've never gotten it. Okay. Like he's fine. He's gonna play in AAA. Um. You know, is he better than Danny Mano? Uh, but I, I think it's it's closer to that than it is like, you know, true major league utility guy. All right. There's just not enough there for me. Were you there when Adderlin Rodriguez took? Kevin Gossman out of the yard? That was in Bowie, so no. No, okay. Yeah, that um, was in Bowie, yeah, yeah. He did hit an opposite field double and then screwed himself into the ground trying to hit breaking balls the rest of the day. That's the story. <laughs> it is, yeah. But this is a, I like this trip more than my one in April. Yeah, obviously. it's was, sounded like, good. yeah. You know, Conforto's going to be a dude. You know, he's going to make yeah. some top 50 lists this offseason. I think he's going to deserve it. Good. 
Because I don't, th- I don't know that I see star upside unless the hit tool comes around a little bit more. But he's gonna be a good major leaguer. I think his element's certainly one worth uh, worth watching too. Good. That's my Binghamton report. We will now move on to your emails, and before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, episode one hundred and twenty-three. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group, which has spent over 10,000 likes or whatever Facebook's calling them now. I think there are still likes. At facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue. You can find uh, the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These were your, These are your emails. You can email the podcast. I wish they were your emails. I wish the show was over. This has been a long show. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Before we do that, can you explain to me the Geico Sports Night goat commercial? I can't. Okay. This was just on, so I was checking. I still don't understand it. Our first email is from Carlton. Howdy, friends. I have a quick draft question. Is there anything stopping a team from drafting someone already employed by a competitor? Yes, the collective bargaining agreement between <laughs> ownership and players. Let's say I own the Mets and draft Bryce Harper and tell him, hey, son, I'll pay you more than your boss does. Is that a thing? I'm just trying to think outside the box for the future. That's way outside the box. <laughs> um, and the Mets can't actually do that either. So, <laughs> Desmond Lindsay, who is this guy? I've never heard of him before the draft. Neither had I. <laughs> I always tell you. But recently I logged onto YouTube, as did I, and found a video of him. In this video, the fellow was smoking line drives all over the place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was batting practice. I also learned that he's fast but played first base and doesn't have a good arm, but played third base. Honestly, I'm pretty confused about that. But I keep hearing that he swings hard, which I do like. Swing hardness is the key element to success. Anyway, what are your thoughts on this kid? Taking price out of the equation, what's your favorite kind of bourbon? I've been drinking Evan Williams since age 11. That's impressive. But recently came into some money and wanted to start drinking something with a little style or quality. Thanks for reading, and also thanks for answering some of my questions on an episode like six months ago. With sincerity, Carlton. Um, I thought my sort of, like, colloquial alcoholism was uh, problematic, but... Desmond Lindsay, I have no idea, dude. Uh, You know, Alex wrote him up on the site. You know, I saw the same YouTube videos you did. Yep. Um... Plus runner, third with a bad arm, played first in showcases, but showcases are weird, so that would make me nervous. Um, Keith Law likes him, I guess. Uh, I'm going to see him in Port St. Lucie in a month. Well, two out time, what day is it? 16th? Two weeks. Um, so hopefully I'll have more then. Um, but yeah, he's a, you know, he's a toolsy prep kid from Florida. Yeah. Sometimes those guys are good, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're Ivan Wilson. Yeah, I will say, getting sort of your Ivan Wilson point, they haven't had the best luck in uh, 
overdrafting prep picks. I'm not saying Lindsay was necessarily an overdraft, but that has not been a, a uh, profile they've done particularly well on the last few years. Yeah. But who knows? It's not a big sample size. Uh, my favorite bourbon is Pappy 20, which I was not allowed to drink because I was working on Sunday. But and that's <laughs> definitely taking price out of the uh, the equation. Because if you can find it, it's one. I don't know, one thirty a bottle, one forty a bottle. But you can't find it, so. Woof, woof. Um, yeah. So my sort of go-to bourbon, as a general rule, is uh, I mean, if you want something with a little more style and quality, I would suggest Four Roses Single Barrel. I was going to say Four Roses. This yeah. should be like a trivia question at the next live podcast. Yeah. Uh, that'll run you 40 to 50-ish, depending on where you are. 42. I think, I think the place that just opened nearby me that's gigantic has it for 38, and I'm very happy about that. It's the little things in life. Um, <laughs> but that, and that's, a, that's a nice sipping bourbon, depending on the proof you get it at. Because it's single barrel, they're all a little different, but usually it's a little over 100. Uh, you just add a little bit of water, and it's it's nice. Um, their small batch expression is really good too. That's closer to a utility bourbon for me. You know, it can stand up in a cocktail. It can stand up to a ice cube or two. Um, but it's still, you know, smooth enough to drink neat. And I think that's in the low thirties for the most part. Um, and if you like Evan Williams, the Evan Williams single barrel is good too. I don't keep it around a ton because I have four or five other bourbons I tend to drink more. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't put sort of price as a necessarily a uh, marker of quality in the bourbon market, especially right now when you're seeing a lot of like small batch $60 stuff that just isn't that good. And you can find like, I mean, I, this isn't bourbon per se, but like in Rye's, like the Sazerac Rye, you can find for under 30 bucks and it's, you know, the quality of brown liquor twice the price. So I keep an eye out for that too. But yeah, everything Four Roses puts out right now is pretty good. Um, you know, if you can get their sort of limited edition stuff, that's generally excellent too. They put out a couple a year. Um, that'll be in the call. I don't actually, they're not doing the small batch limited edition anymore, I think. They're still doing the single barrel limited edition. But they'll put out a couple of those a year, usually one in the spring, one in the fall. They're worth tracking down if you can find them. Um, I've heard good things about the uh, E.H. Taylor Oaked, but I haven't been able to find it. Um, so I can't really give you a, uh, a first-hand account of its quality. But hey, I mean, if you can track down Pappy, really any of them, you're obviously an experienced bourbon drinker, so I don't need to break you in slowly. Yeah. Our next email is from Michael. Hello, Jeff and company. There are a few topics that I've been pondering over. Where is Matt Reynolds? I know Wright could come back by the All Star break, Michael. Plus Murphy and Toy Cannon. Toy Cannon is. We going with Toy Cannon? Is that Ruben Tejada? <laughs> that was Ruben Tejada. <laughs> I love autocorrect. No, it's not. No, he actually gave. This happened a couple weeks ago. Oh, he did it on purpose? Yeah, he tried to give. I think it was Ruben Tejada the nickname Toy Cannon. I think. I don't remember. No, he's expected back soon enough, so it's not Ruben Tejada. Herrera, maybe? Uh, it had to have been. When did he well, write that? Six days ago? Six days ago. Yeah, right, maybe it was Herrera. 
Yeah. I don't remember. This is like a donuts thing. Yeah. But uh, Reynolds can't come up for a few weeks in the meantime? Question mark? Why do we have to watch the ineptitude as Eric Campbell or Ruben Tejada? So obviously it wasn't Ruben Tejada. Danny Mano, etc. It's not a Super 2 thing. He's not that good. It's because Matt Reynolds is Cole Hamill's head twin. <laughs> they look alike? Yeah, yeah. They kind of yeah. do, actually, now yes. that I'm thinking about it. That's, that's, that's yes. not bad. That's good work. Yeah. I don't know. I'm grasping here. Secondly, does Dominic Smith's performance make Sandy pause about approaching Duda yet again about a contract extension? No. Oh. After this season. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just two home runs and he's still hitting 279. He's up to 290 now. But this kid is 19 years old playing in high A and to quote Jeff, is absolutely shoving for the last month and a half. It's not shoving when you're a hitter. It's raking. Curious for your thoughts about Dom. Lastly, when can we expect a Conforto MLB debut? Whose expense will it come at? The Candyman or Michael the Magician? Love the show as always. Big fan, Mike. Uh, Matt Reynolds is in Las Vegas because Greg Karam doesn't think he's hitting enough. He's not not for me. Uh, I mean, like they're not gonna. It, like I said, once Murphy, now that Herrera's back, once Murphy's back, they'll move to Hada to the bench, and there's really not a role for Reynolds. I think they believe they have to add him to the forty man after this season. 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So then maybe it'll be a consideration. They've been doing weird forty man things, and then they just create a space by DFA and Dylan G. So I don't even know. Well, when Murph comes back, I feel like a guy like Reynolds could have a little bit more value um, than a Campbell could off the bench because then, you know... You can actually play in the middle infield, yeah. Right, yeah. But they already have Tejada to do that. I mean, Reynolds and Tejada are kind of redundant. Yeah, Tejada is probably a little better defender, though not at third. That's true. Uh, I just don't think it's. I mean, the time to call it Matt Reynolds was like six weeks ago when everyone was hurt. Yeah. Um, Dom Smith. I'm going to see Dom Smith. I, I don't want to say this for every podcast between now and when I actually see all these dudes. But I'm going to see Dom Smith in two weeks, and I'll let you know. Um, but no, it's not going to make a difference with Duda. I mean, he's still. Yeah, I mean, look, we're talking away probably, and we're talking about a major league like all star caliber player here. Yeah, and there might be the DH in the NL by then. Who knows? So, hopefully. Oh, you're you're not a NL forever guy. I I can't I can't I can't stand watching pitchers hit. Not even Bartolo Colon. I like he's like the last fucking monster. Worth wild thing about it, and he's gonna be gone soon. <sighs> Um, I think you'll see Conforto May 15th, 2016. Though I do want to investigate uh, if that changes if someone gets hurt, which I will later this week. I'm going to continue to be cryptic about that. I'm going to take the... Uh, take the under? The under? Yeah, the, the under. The earlier. The earlier. The, the earlier, yeah. <laughs> Our next email is from Hank. Dear Mr. Paternostro and Coey Val, it's no secret that Mets offense stinks, but it's not just the Mets. All offense is down all over MLB. The average MLB hitter is hitting 252, 314, 395 this season. Ten years ago in 2005, that slash line was 264, 330, 419. And 15 years ago in 2000, it was 270, 345, 437. The average from 2000 in today's game by X player would be an all-star. The query I post to you is this. Does MLB need to do something to change this trend, or is this a pendulum swing type of thing, and it will correct itself? 
If this is something MLB should look into, what are your thoughts on what could be done? Should we shorten the season but still keep the same start and end days to extend the off days for position players? Let players use greenies again. Find more umpires with a smaller strike zone until existing umps not to give the pitch on the proverbial black. Bring the dreaded DH to the NL. Lower the mound. One of my hobby horses not letting the home plate umpire call a swing or not. His eyes should be on the pitch, not the bat. Or do you have some great idea we could not fathom? Please have a great idea. I've heard the argument that all these players <laughs> in today's game grew up in the steroid era when hitters were playing well into their 40s and no one could get them out. The best athletes that want to be baseball players gravitated towards pitching, so another 5-10 to 10 years offense will return on its own. Do the kids today seeing their best chance to be an MLB or is it the bat? Does that argument carry any credence with you or do you know about a better reason to expound on the dearth of hitting? Does something have to be done about this bereft run environment or not? Um, I think it is cyclical to a certain extent, but this is not good for the game. I think there's a, a sort of a confluence of things. Yes. You have sort of the lefties getting called strikes six inches off the plate. That's the thing. The lefty strike zone is a thing. Yes. Shifting, I think, is sort of an underrated factor here, too. Probably playing a role. And just better sort of spray chart data in general. Because if you look at actual, like, power on contact, that hasn't changed a ton. You know, you go back to, like, the sort of the peak, quote-unquote, steroid era, you know, 98, 2001. Yeah, that's a a bit of an outlier. But even 10 years ago, the power on contact isn't all that different. I think the difference you're seeing is more strikeouts. So a lot of that batting average drop is strikeouts um, and sort of lefties hitting into the shift. So BABIP, other BABIP related things. Now there's not yeah. much you can do about it. You can ban the shift. Um, I don't know of a good way to lower strikeouts. Sort of altering the strike zone. No, I mean, my, my biggest thing, well, I also think that like all the all the data, whatever you want to call it, you know, pitch FX, all that kind of stuff. I, I feel like that can help uh, the pitchers more than it can help the hitters necessarily. Um, but my biggest thing is the, the strike zone that the umpires call. And it's the thing that probably my biggest frustration in the game is the inconsistency in the strike zone and also how how wide it's called and how low it's called uh just drives me crazy and i I think that that's i think that's the number one thing hurting the game right now is the strike zone just being way you know just not being called the way it should be called yeah i mean i don't want to get into like robot umps now because i think we had a question about that recently i said i don't really think you can we don't have the technology yet essentially yeah well you know you had a guy the other day who uh was called uh, who the dodgers catcher right and the, the umpires told him that oh yeah aj ellis you didn't, yeah. you didn't present it properly <laughs> so, so like like it's like it's like these guys are humans and they're being actively deceived and it's just it's embarrassing i i can it's an issue I don't. Yeah, I think I think there is something too in there's more money in in pitching. Guys that are two way players are getting drafted as pitchers. 
because teams always need pitching. You're seeing more thirteen man thirteen man staffs now. Velocity's up. Velocity's up. Um, Velocity's up. Injuries are up. I mean, it's. I think that it's all part of it. I don't have a great idea. No, I think that teams will start focusing on guys who are. Good at making contact. I think well, you're starting will... to see it. I mean, the Giants and Cardinals have had a certain amount of success there with lower strikeout guys. You know, yeah. Strikeout rates that would still be considered high. You're even seeing it ago, with the but... Braves a little. You know, the Braves are not as terrible as they were expected to be, and they're not as bad as they maybe were last year. And, and they've definitely gotten rid of some guys who are high strikeouts and, and focused on a little bit more contact. Of course, meanwhile, like Mark... the Astros are in first place because all they do is strike out and hit dingers. Yeah. Well. It's a cyclical thing. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't have a good answer. It doesn't bother me per se. I guess I don't mind low-scoring games. It does. It has really kind of like I say this a lot on the show. We haven't still fully adjusted to it. Like Curtis Grandison is an above-average major league hitter this year. Yeah, which really does not feel like that. It doesn't feel like it. We still sort of haven't like internally. Ah, oh, God, Carlos Torres is a tire fire tonight. Shit. Really? He hasn't actually recorded an out in this inning yet. This the Blue Jays made a terrible base running play. And now Bobby Parnell's coming in, which is gonna solve everything. <laughs> uh, Alright, we'll move on to our next email then. Yeah, let's do that. And our last email. And it's from Kyle. Fellas, all this trade rumor speculation about who's going to play third base this season has got me wondering what the heck the infield is going to look like next season and the season after that. Now I'm not a big Murphy fan. What about pursuing signing him to a two- to three-year deal for a reasonable amount of money? Kyle, I'm going to assume you're a more recent listener to the show. <laughs> I suspect that he played decent third-base defense in the, effect, in the event that old man's right back continues to ache. Give us a backup plan in case Pickles Herrera, all right, not that new, I guess. That's a fairly recent thing that I still don't like. Doesn't prove to be a solid major leaguer. Can even play some first base once due to stats against lefties come down to earth. I wouldn't want to start Murphy against lefties at first base either. Thoughts? Thanks for providing... I weekly fix a Mets commentary. Cheers, Kyle. Um, I would. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Wright's back does change the equation. Yeah, it really does. And they don't have a, a third base option anywhere uh, in the system. Anywhere in the system. Uh, and he's he's a he could he could potentially come cheap if you if you do it now. <laughs> and I don't know if they can. Well, they might be able to. I guess if he's been hurt. The numbers are back up towards, as we all suspected, normal Murph numbers. For the right deal. Yeah, it depends on the deal, I guess. Um, But no, it is a reasonable strategy. I have to say that. Despite my steadfast uh, disinterest (laughs) in discussing a potential Daniel Murphy contract extension on this show. Yes. I've had to do it so many times before. It's not a bad idea. It's not. Get him two years, eighteen million with a team option. I don't even know if they can afford that, but it's not terrible. I would, do, I would do it. I would probably do it. I just think the right thing makes it a. Uh, I mean, he'll they'll find a bats for him. And that's not a terrible amount to play as a pay for a twice a week guy in this in this market. It's an overpay, but yeah, I guess that's where we're at now. This podcast yeah. got dark. <laughs> Those are your emails. 
Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Uh, IFK Gothenburg did not play this week. They're off for the international break, so I don't have an IFK Gothenburg update. Okay. I was just going to ask. I do have a Sheffield Wednesday update. Oh. They, 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're going to say because I thought you were talking about the Mets when you tweeted it out. <laughs> yeah. So earlier last week, they, uh, they re-signed Kieran Lee, which I mentioned, I think on the last week's show. To a uh, two-year contract extension, did a big thing, had the signing. I you know, had him talk with Stuart Gray, the manager. Did a little press hit. Two days later, they fired Stuart Gray. <laughs> um, and this is the, the timing is weird because they'd announced like they just got bought out in the spring by a by a new Thai. Well, I don't say ownership group. It's really one guy um, who has a lot of family money and tuna fish. Oh, I was gonna say fish sticks, but okay. yeah, close enough. And uh, it's a fish consortium, um, <laughs> essentially. And they announced a sort of like new operating committee with a couple guys and Stuart Gray. One of the guys left to take over as sporting director at Leeds, which was a little weird, but whatever. Um, they didn't really make any moves. And then they just kind of like sent out a tweet that they're parting ways with Gray. And look, they're, they're, he's a bit of a, I don't want to say a divisive figure among, among Wednesdayites, but I don't think they like his tactics you know, he's not an experienced manager. He's more of a like a coach type for most of his career. But you know, he'd taken teams on a shoestring budget from the bottom of the table in December of the last season, and uh, you know, got them to out of the relegation fight. And then this year again, shoestring budget. They had a previous takeover thing that fell through. Um, you know, essentially sold off one of their best players and guided them to a mid-table finish. And yeah, it's not great. He's setting up organized defense at the back. I don't want to say playing for the sort of the 0-0 draw. That's the way it felt like at a lot of times. But he got the job done. And I think he, look, was he going to make it long-term in this organization with Premier League aspirations? Is he the manager to do that? I don't know. But I think he deserved a chance to see if he could do it in this new system. And they haven't really announced a new manager, and it sounds like they might just hire this Portuguese guy who's had like 12 jobs in 10 years. It's getting a little weird. Uh, like there's something that's like rumors weird. flying, but no information is actually coming out, so I don't know. It's a little weird. I'm not happy. I'm reserving judgment, but I feel like he got a little bit of a raw deal. I think he was, sounds, a, he was a good soldier. Sounds like it to me. And the timing is just odd, because they could have done it at the end of the season. When there was like more managers available, not that there aren't still you know, plenty of candidates available. There's always a coaching carousel in soccer, but I don't know. We'll see. Grinds my gears a little bit. All right, I'm sorry for that. Yeah. And, you know, it's not you know firing Willie in Anaheim or anything level of. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just it's odd to me, and the players all seem to like playing for him. So. I don't know. I got nothing. It's too bad. He'll land on his feet. I think he will get another uh, managing job somewhere. He did a good job there. But I don't know who they're going to bring in. Literally some Portuguese good is what it sounds like to me, which is still better than John Carver, who was one of the early betting favorites. I was smoked. Mm. This bullpen's not so good when J.R. Smilly is not available. 
What I'm seeing in play runs. Yeah, yeah, no, this absolutely middle, middle, 91 mile hour fastball got smoked into left field. It was just a single. Okay, good. Well, if it's just a single, they're still leading. It is, but it, it, I will say this has escalated quickly. You know, it doesn't make any sense that they're bringing Parnell in in, in, in high leverage situations. I mean, well, the guy, yeah. the guy. I yeah, mean, I know, I know. They don't have anybody sh- else. It's going to be a Kill Morris soon, sure. dude. It's going to be a Kill Morris for the ninth. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Yep. Yep. That's the show. Okay. We'll uh, watch we'll you back later in the week. I think probably with another oh. edition of Amazing Avenue Audio that I can't tell you about. 